Hi, welcome to the Brainworms podcast, the podcast that will end sadness. I'm Joe. I'm David. I'm Kane. And I'm Chris. And today we're going to be talking about Dan Brown's first novel, Digital Fortress. Presumably, if you've been in a place that has books, you've heard of Dan Brown. It's the Da Vinci guy. Da Vinci guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The book reading world has kind of contradictory opinions. A lot of people say he's a hack. He's a bad writer. He's kind of pretentious. But then he's got a lot of fans. Heroin has a lot of fans. I mean, that's fair. I mean, I like a lot of the works inspired by him. Like, have you ever seen the Da Vinci Chode? (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me? Adding that to my list. (laughs) And what about angels and semens? (laughs) Are these actual things or or if they're not just things that exist in your mind? I don't know, Joe. Are they real things? Is this like an indie panties day situation? Like porn parodies exist. Yeah, they do. They do. Uh, Honestly, I I just kind of made that shit up. Mm. Having been created in a lab on the moon, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have access to the same porn that the rest of humanity has access to. He just has all the porn that I throw out. Dude, the shit that I've learned from that porn. I mean, it's instructive. It is very instructive. You know what? I'm pretty soon I'm going to be able to fashion my own sex organ. And you know what? Um, here's the most important thing to know about porn. <laughs> Everything in it is real. And if you've never had sex, you should totally watch a lot of porn to see what you should do to treat a lady or a man, whichever. None of that is true. It's, it's very true. What are you talking about? <laughs> let's let's go forward talking about Dan Brown being a hack writer or Dan Brown being a good writer and you just hate him because he's popular. I kind of don't think he's a great writer. I mean, in, I, I've only ever read The Da Vinci Code by him, to be honest. And considering that I had read the novel that he or the, the book that he sort of pulled a lot of those ideas from. uh. It wasn't anything new mm-hmm. to me, but it was a fine adventure story. Right. Yeah. You know, like classic, like dime yeah. store paperback kind of stuff. Exactly. And I, that's fair. There's nothing wrong with that. I like Clive Cussler mm-hmm. and he's kind of a divisive author as well. He's not out there trying to make you know, great literature. He's just writing fun, entertaining stories. I, I'm not going to say that Dan Brown is the pinnacle of literature, but for a populist kind of author sure he's probably all right i mean sure i like stephen king yeah i love stephen king um i've never read any of this guy's stuff or really heard about him when the da vinci code came out my uh psycho religious mom was going all kinds of crazy over it so this will be an interesting experience for me did did she believe that it was evidence of the illuminati conspiracy or was she against it well, it's because there's, in the book, there's a lot of anti-religious themes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I think she used it as evidence for, like, the end times. Um, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, you can find evidence for the end times anywhere you want to. Just look around. Yeah, yeah. It's it's always the end of the world. Right. Personally, I think the end of the world is sort of a quantum thing. Like, you can always get closer to it. You're always just getting halfway there. So it's always just having the distance. So what you're saying is, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that time is a flat circle. (laughs) I heard that referenced somewhere. I need someone to explain that joke to me. It was the reason I stopped hating Matthew McConaughey. We watched that show. 
last October. What show? True, True Detective. Detective. Oh, yeah, that was a great. Yeah. Show. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, that's that's how I'd always viewed Matthew McConaughey, and then I watched that show in one night. I think I stayed at Joe's until like six in the morning. Yeah. Guys, I think we've talked about Matthew McConaughey like four times now on this show. He's, Maybe we should have him talking on. About. Can you get his people <laughs> on the line? And like, I mean, Matt, Matt, if you're out there, buddy. Yeah. Like, we'll we'll gladly have you on, man. Just, just hit us up. And to entice you, like right now, and this is no lie, I am currently completely naked. <laughs> oh, well, we just lost any chance that we're going to have Matthew McConaughey on. I don't think Matthew McConaughey is concerned about your nudity. <laughs> he might be. I mean, he might be, but... I, I don't I, want to make declarative statements about another person's thoughts or intentions. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I shouldn't presume, but I imagine it's probably something that wouldn't ruffle his feathers one way or the other. I'm just saying that if he wanted to, he could come over to my house and sit on my lap while we record. Um, All right, well, now you just made it weird. Yeah, moving on. Good job. <laughs> Although I, I feel like if, if there were any lap sitting, I feel like you would be sitting on Matthew McConaughey's See, that's lap. that's what he would be expecting. I mean, that's what I'd be hoping for. I'd rather sit on his lap. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but don't you think he's had enough people sitting on his lap? Can you ever really have enough people sitting on your lap? Yes. It depends on how big your lap is. That's More true. than two is probably uncomfortable. Valid. And I guess I should ask a mole Santa that. I expect they mm. probably, by like December 23rd, are real over that shit. It gets old. Having more than two people sitting on your lap, I think that becomes a dog pile. Yeah, that's that's just a lap stack at that point. That's a thing? It is now. Oh god, this is what's going to happen in the future when the world is so overpopulated that we have towers of children sitting on mall Santa's laps and they have to like take them out and put them in like Jenga. What? You know, getting a snapshot into your mind, sometimes it's terrifying. Yeah, I just want a constant thought balloon over your head just to see. Sometimes it's terrifying, but other times it's very endearing. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I would have never gone to children stacking. That's just not a place that my brain would have went to. And and the fact that yours went there, it brings me a level of joy that I didn't anticipate today. Because everything's awful and everything is terrible. So thank you for that, Chris. <laughs> everything is terrible, welcome, but at least we have children stacking. <laughs> right? On Santa's lap. That's the best part is yep. underneath I don't feel good the tower of children sitting one right on top of the other is some underpaid, underappreciated mall Santa. Who probably has the smell of booze on his breath. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's probably got a lot of smells on him with that high of a tower of children sitting on that's that's fair yeah. yeah well at that point in the future um he's gonna be like robot santa he's look i saw an episode of invader zim that suggests that any robot santa is a bad idea i'm gonna i'm gonna interrupt you real quick we should talk about dan brown. look joe <laughs> we were uncovering the secrets of the universe all right dan brown would be interested in this conversation i think we're really just providing him material for his next novel <laughs> Right, exactly, sure. yeah. Dan Brown, if we give you any ideas, shout us out. Dan Brown brings you Child Tower. <laughs> <laughs> He's got some weird archaeologist detective. Like When the children stack at a certain angle, they reveal a sequence of digits. And not, it's not flanges, like numbers. Right, right, yeah. Moving on. Yeah, yeah, let's do that quickly before we get caught up. <laughs> 
started out as a musician interestingly yeah, enough. What, what kind of music did he do? I don't know. None of it survives on the <laughs> internet. Apparently it was heavily synthesizer based and has been compared to Gary Glitter. Interesting. I don't like any comparisons to Gary Glitter. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't find any of it. I mean, I can buy that it, just yeah. based on his seeming fascination with all things computer. Well, and the era in which he would have been probably making music was pretty synth heavy. Also fair. Yeah. Yeah. I looked pretty hard and none of his music survives. If you if you know someone, comment section that has access to any of Dan Brown's musical recordings, hook us up because I want to hear them. Or if you're Dan Brown, hook yeah, us D- up. Yeah, Dan Brown. If you Google your name, which I honestly could, could see Dan Brown doing. <laughs> Just remember that at least two of us don't think that you're a hack. One of us hasn't read you. You know, we could even have Dan Brown on the show, but only if he brings Matthew McConaughey. It's a package deal sort of thing. Do you think Dan Brown and Matthew McConaughey hang out? I mean, I could see maybe Tom Hanks, but yeah, not, yeah. not Matthew McConaughey. I mean, I don't know. They might have met at a party sometime. Or what party? An Oscars after party. I could see that. Them crossing paths, but I don't, I don't feel like they're bros. Definitely not. You have to earn a position as Matthew McConaughey's bro. I don't know this definitively. I'm making this up. But my assumption is that friends with Matthew McConaughey, you have to earn that place. I'm going to go ahead and decapitate this branch off we're doing again, and let's get back to Dan Brown. Sure. (laughs) Um, Yeah, he started out as a musician that wasn't going terribly well for him, and then he was vacationing in Tahiti in 1993 and read a Sidney Sheldon novel. And it doesn't say this, but this is my assumption. He thought to himself, "I can do that." (laughs) And then he did it. And did it. He started work on the novel we're about to be reading, Digital Fortress. Hmm. You know, stories like that are often inspiring to a lot of people, Mm -hmm. but they just irritate the shit out of me. I am so annoyed by people who become world-famous, well-known authors because they sit down one day and think, eh, I could do that. Sure. And then they just do. Fuck you for your being able to do welcome to the shape of the world as governed by averages Uh, and 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 i don't want to assume anything but reading between the lines of his kind of bio it seems like he had some privileges um he went to amherst university and then apparently formed his own record company Hmm. specifically to publish his synth recordings is that because no one else would publish his stuff probably no 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 no. it's because he was trying to foster that independent spirit so that no one could control him both things may be true actually and then apparently read a book on vacation in tahiti and just thought i can i can do that which is just the confidence I feel of someone who maybe hasn't had to try terribly hard in life. Well, you look, if we're trying to get Dan Brown, all right, maybe not <laughs> shitting in his fucking cereal is the route that we should go. Okay, I'm just sure. saying, Dan Brown, I'm inspired by your ability to, with no external help or assistance, pull yourself up by your own literary bootstraps and oh my uh, God. make something of yourself. You know, it inspires me a clone that I could do that as well. You think that'll suck his dick enough that he'll be like, yeah, I'll talk to these losers. <laughs> no, but, but in, in all seriousness, real quick, you do have to at least give him points that he looked at a thing, said, I can do that. And then he did it. Like he made, he, oh, sure. like he, he made an accurate estimation. Absolutely. That's the part that pisses me off. 
Quick question, Joe. What's that? Did he start his own publishing company? And so he was like, well, fuck you guys. I'll do it myself. And then that didn't take off. No, he he, he had an external publisher. Apparently, St. Martin's Press published Digital Fortress. All right. So, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, he didn't make his own publishing company. It's true. So something must have happened. Let's dive into this. Let's yeah. Let's find out what's going on. So, yeah, unless anyone else has anything to add, we're probably going to dive into Digital Fortress. Let's do it. We can decide for ourselves if Dan Brown is a hack. Because our opinion matters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're um, a wildly unsuccessful podcast of, of weirdos <laughs> that talk bullshit about clones and space stations. No. We are a self-published artistic <laughs> endeavor. And one day we're going to sit down and think to ourselves, we could do that. And we're going to write a book. I mean, that's basically Wait, how we decided we were podcasters. <laughs> right, right. Just Yeah, we can we can do that. Before we delve. Hey, hey, listeners, come, come here. Let me, talk, let me talk to you. Just you and me. It's just you and me right now. Do you like this podcast? Do you uh, do you want to support this podcast with uh, with your money? Because if you want to give us some money, you can give us some money and we'll use it to make this podcast better. And then it'll be your fault. And then you'll be responsible for everything that we do. Don't say it like that. You're not <laughs> responsible. You're just aiding and abetting. Wait, no, I said abet too. I'm just saying, it's a nice podcast you got here. It'd be a shame if something happened to you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if, if you want to jump on to patreon.com slash podcast. And get in there. Uh, we've got a bunch of fun projects in the works under the umbrella of Brainworms Podcasts. A bunch of fun adventures we're going down in future. And if you want to be part of that, go ahead and kick us a few bucks a month. You'll get access to fun exclusives, potentially bits of, of cutting room floor content. Also a digital soda. Also a digital soda. And some of the leave-ins from my creation. Yeah, yeah. Some. If you want a jar of primordial slime, $50 a month will get you your very own <laughs> David Clone. And $100 a month will get you David Clone's failed sex organs. That's not true. No. We actually fed those to David Clone. <sighs> Does anyone else have anything to add before we dive into Digital Fortress? Good God, no. Prologue, Plaza de España, Seville, Spain, 11 a.m. It is said that in death, all things become clear. Insai Tancado, that's a weird name, E-N-S-E-I. I don't know how that's supposed to be pronounced. I'm going with Insai. I also just want to point out that I've never heard that said. Really? I have. Insai Tancado now knew it was true. As he clutched his chest and fell to the ground in pain, he realized the horror of his mistake. People appeared, hovering over him, trying to help. But Tonkato did not want help. It was too late for that. Trembling, he raised his left hand and held his fingers outward. Look at my hand! The faces around him stared, but he could tell they did not understand. On his finger was an engraved golden ring. For an instant, the markings glimmered in the Andalusian sun. Inside Tonkato knew it was the last light he would ever see. Whoa. Chapter one. Hey, that was an exciting opening. Yeah. It was a pretty good open. Not bad yeah. for a cold open, really. No, that's that's great. Chapter one. They were in the Smoky Mountains at their favorite bed and breakfast. David was smiling down at her. This is much less exciting. <laughs> I don't know. David smiling down at her is a good start. Yeah. What do you say, gorgeous? Marry me? Looking up from their canopy bed, she knew he was the one. Forever. Are we in a different book? <laughs> 
Look, man. You gotta you gotta establish <laughs> it, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. Dude. It just seems like a very abrupt sort of whiplashy transition there, but carry on. As she stared into his deep green eyes, somewhere in the distance a deafening bell began to ring. It was pulling him away. She reached for him, but her arms clutched empty air. It was the sound of the phone that fully awoke Susan Fletcher from her dream. She gasped, sat up in bed, and fumbled for the receiver. Hello? Susan, it's David. Did I wake you? She smiled, rolling over in bed. I was just dreaming of you. Come over and play. He laughed. It's still dark out. Mmm, she moaned sensuously. Then definitely come over and play. We can sleep in before we head north. Here, pull on this rope that I've lost in my mouth. <laughs> David let out a frustrated sigh. I feel like that happens on this podcast a lot, too. <sighs> That's why I'm calling. It's about our trip. I've got to postpone. Susan was suddenly wide awake. What? I'm sorry. I've got to leave town. I'll be back by tomorrow. We can head up first thing in the morning. We'll still have two days. But I made reservations, Susan said, hurt. I got our old room at Stone Manor. I know, but tonight was supposed to be special, to celebrate six months. You do remember we're engaged, like, don't engaged you? Engaged after six months? I, I'm gonna. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I interrupted. I. That's just. That's crazy. Go ahead. Maybe they've been engaged for six months. I just really appreciate the subtlety of that. Uh, oh, what's the term for a stat? Like uh, uh, expository. <laughs> as you as you well know, we are very much engaged. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. In case you missed it from the dream sequence, remembering the actual proposal. Let me drop this to you in the second paragraph. Right. Susan, he sighed. I really can't go into it now. They've got a car waiting. I'll call you from the plane and explain everything. Plane? What's a plane? Repeated. What's going on? Why would the university... It's not the university. I'll phone and explain later. I've really got to go. They're calling for me. I'll be in touch, I promise. David, she cried. Dick. What's... But it was too late. David had hung up. Susan Fletcher lay awake for hours, waiting for him to call back. The phone never rang. Later that afternoon, Susan sat dejected in the tub. Nice. <laughs> chicken wah, wah. She submerged herself in the soapy water and tried to forget Stone Manor and the Smoky Mountains. Where could he be, she wondered. Why hasn't he called? I also often try to forget the Smoky Mountains. I like the Smoky Mountains. They're pretty. Yeah, that's fair. Gradually, the water around her went from hot to lukewarm, and finally that's to cold. This is thrilling. As thermodynamics well, it's just that's You've just been in the bath too long. Her fingers are going to be like prunes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's a prune all over at this point. I just wish she was also chewing gum, and so, they, so the book <laughs> describes how it yeah. lost its flavor. On the bed post it's overnight. about the same. She was about to get out when her cordless phone buzzed to life. Susan bolted upright, sloshing water on the floor as she grappled for the receiver she she'd left on the sink. She hit her head on the toilet like I'm a sure. bozo. <laughs> yeah. And died. I'm sure End housekeeping's going to love the giant fuck-off puddle of water <laughs> she left on the floor. Is she at the bed and breakfast, or is she at her house? I don't think they left yet. I don't I don't think so. No, I, th I think she's at home. Okay, maybe um, I misunderstood. She them. was dreaming of them being in their favorite bed and breakfast oh, that she made right. reservations yeah, yeah. for, and they were supposed to meet. But six months after he uh, in, asked her to marry him or whatever. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. 
I think, hopefully. I don't know. It's a book about cryptography. What do you want? Yeah, it's also a, yeah, it's a Dan Brown book. This is going to be confusing and irritating. <laughs> <laughs> so basically most of the content that we read on this show. David, it's Strathmore, the voice replied. Susan slumped. Oh, she was unable to hide her disappointment. Well, fuck you too, lady. <laughs> <laughs> Good afternoon, Commander. Hoping for a younger man, the voice chuckled. No, sir, Susan said, embarrassed. It's not how it... Sure it is. He laughed. David Becker's a good man. Don't ever lose him. Thank you, sir. The commander's voice turned suddenly stern. Susan, I'm calling because I need you in here. Pronto. She tried to focus. It's Saturday, sir. We don't usually... I know, he said calmly. It's an emergency. Susan sat up. Emergency? The she coffee had... maker is broken. <laughs> she had never heard the word cross Commander Strathmore's lips. An emergency? In crypto? She couldn't imagine. Yes, sir. She paused. I'll be there as soon as I can. Make it sooner. Strathmore hung up. That's, that's... that's not how time works. <laughs> it just immediately presents as a dick. Like, yeah. That's that's not good enough. Contact Bill and Ted. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Susan Fletcher stood wrapped in a towel and dripped on the neatly folded clothes she'd set out the night before. Well, that wouldn't happen if you wouldn't stand on them. And, and if you didn't stay in the tub for, I don't know, like four hours or however long yeah. it took. Susan Fletcher stood wrapped in a towel and dripped on the neatly folded clothes she'd set out the night before. Hiking shorts, a sweater for the cool mountain evenings and the new lingerie she'd bought for the nights. Depressed, she went to her closet for a clean blouse and skirt. An emergency? In crypto? As she went downstairs, Susan wondered how the day could get much worse. It's a word you don't hear very often anymore. Blouse. She was about to find out. Don't, don't, don't. So, this, yeah, chapter two. But... Looking back on chapter one, a few thoughts. Um, mm -hmm. This is a first book. This is definitely a first book. Sure. That, that's pretty much it. Like it, it's, it's also very definitely a first book written by a white male American who was probably in his late 20s or early 30s when he wrote it. And has never been in the military. I don't know about that. And was a failed musician. <laughs> <laughs> Are we getting really specific? <laughs> this is definitely this? <laughs> a first book that was written by Dan Brown. Well, no, I, I, I kind of see what you're saying. Like, it's doing a lot of showing and not telling. Right, 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 yeah. It, it's a very, like, dude idea of how a female character would think. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I see where you're coming <laughs> yeah, from. Yeah. <laughs> Chapter 2. 30,000 feet above a dead, calm ocean, David Becker stared miserably from the Learjet 60's small oval window. He'd been told the phone on board was out of order, and he'd never had a chance to call Susan. Ever. What am I doing here? He grumbled to himself. Good question. We would all like to know. Yeah, the audience would like to know. But the answer was simple. There were men to whom you just didn't say no. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. All right. I don't want Dan Brown on this show anymore. <laughs> Mr. Becker, the loudspeaker crackled, will be arriving in half an hour. Ted Danson? <laughs> no, no, she said Mr. Pecker, right? That was, no? Sorry. B, as in 
boy. I know. Not I just need to say as in poi. Look, I'm just surprised that we got 30 minutes into the podcast without making that joke. Yeah, I'm just surprised we got 30 minutes into the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that's it's reasonable to be surprised. Becker nodded gloomily to the invisible voice. Wonderful. He pulled the shade and tried to sleep, but he could only think of her. Chapter 3. These chapters are just... We're just blowing through them. Susan's Volvo sedan rolled to a stop in the shadow of the ten-foot-high barbed cyclone fence. A young guard placed his hand on the roof. ID, please. Susan obliged and settled in for the usual half-minute wait. The officer ran her card through a computerized scanner. Finally, he looked up. Thank you, Ms. Fletcher. He gave an imperceptible sign, and the gate swung open. Half a mile ahead, Susan repeated the entire procedure at an equally imposing electrified fence. This is very exciting. Come on, guys. I've only been through here a million times. That's not, As, that's, that's not how checkpoints that, work. That, it doesn't matter. Hey, I'm, I'm going to take a quick <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll still I'll still have my headphones on. Just uh, yell loudly when it starts to Did become Did we fit him with that shot collar? We'll just, yeah, we'll, we'll get you. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, just push the button. I'll take the shock if, if I could just sleep through the first, what, eight <laughs> chapters? Is that? Yeah. More than likely, yeah. I don't know. We'll get to something eventually Hopefully, here, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As she approached the final checkpoint, a stocky sentry with two attack dogs and a machine gun glanced down at her license plate and waved her through. She... Could have covered herself in cat piss and, uh... <laughs> For some reason, I w when I visualized that guard, he had the machine gun on a leash and he was wielding the two dogs like guns. That's, That's real weird. It's and, not yeah. correct. Okay. Got two she attack dogs and a machine road. gun. <laughs> Carry on. She followed Canine Road for another 250 yards and pulled into employee lot C. Unbelievable, she thought. 26,000 employees and a $12 billion budget. You'd think they could make it through the weekend without me. Well, that that de depends on your position. Yeah, like you, your it's your job. Are. Like, it, yeah. with that, they're paying you with that $12 billion budget to do the thing you're doing. So let's let's just let's just talk about for a second whether or not it's it's good writing to like try and build up suspense to introduce your characters and put them into these positions and not really tell who they are or like what their jobs yeah. are. Yeah. We don't understand anything about either of these people's positions, just that they have important positions that they've been called in to do things. And she apparently works in crypto somewhere for the military. Mm -hmm. But what we do know is that she took a very long bath yep. That she had fancy clothing <laughs> and fancy lingerie. She has a Volvo sedan. She has a Volvo sedan. And it was 250 yards mm -hmm. from the final checkpoint to employee lot C. Yeah, that seems to be a recurring theme with these kind of... And, and obviously this is Dan Brown's first book. We can discuss his later work later. With these kind of inexperienced writers of just bombarding you with the wrong information. Yeah, yeah, all of this kind of drudgery would be fine if we were having some kind of characterization in the characters reacting to what's happening. Sure. Like, if we if we learned somehow that uh, Susan had a temper or something, we would be learning about her. And I mean, honestly, we're only on, like, page five of the book right now, mm -hmm. even though it's the third chapter, because these have been incredibly short chapters. Right. But, uh, so you can't expect 
too much overall. But yeah, it's it's a lot of weird. Yeah, it, it almost feels like in his mind he's writing a movie. Right, like he's calling yeah. your attention to all of these details about the environment and about objects, and not really giving you much internal like what the characters are thinking and feeling it feels like he's writing this for the screen yeah i can see that go back to sleep <clears throat> oh sorry sorry let's <laughs> see where was i oh yeah uh susan gunned the car into her reserved spot and killed the engine after crossing the landscaped terrace and entering the main building oh she cleared gosh. two more internal checkpoints and finally arrived at the windowless tunnel that led to the new wing a voice scan booth blocked her entry. National Security Agency, NSA. Crypto facility. Authorized personnel only. The armed guard looked up. Afternoon, Miss Fletcher. Susan smiled tiredly. Hi, John. Didn't expect you today. Yeah, me neither. She leaned toward the parabolic microphone. Susan Fletcher, she stated clearly. The computer instantly confirmed the frequency concentrations in her voice, and the gate clicked open. She stepped through. Well, you know, we now know that she is indeed Susan Fletcher. Yeah. Yeah, so much. The, all of that could have been accomplished with, like, two sentences. Like, she went through the, she went through the, the increasingly complex checkpoints. Yeah. Okay, so you guys know those memes about, like, there was a whole Twitter thing about it at one point. People writing... As if they were men yeah, writing yeah. about women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this isn't one of those, but uh, <laughs> the guard admired Susan as she began her walk down the cement causeway. That's not professional. No. He noticed that her strong hazel eyes seemed distant today, but her cheeks had a flushed freshness and her shoulder length auburn hair looked newly blown dry. Trailing her was the faint scent of Johnson's baby powder. His eyes fell the length of her slender torso, to her white blouse with the bra barely visible beneath, to her knee-length khaki skirt, and finally, to her legs. Susan Fletcher's legs. That guard needs to have a conversation with HR. Uh, it was 1993. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't think they would have done much. Uh, hold on, guys. You, you, I'm, I'm just going to read this yeah, whole yeah. thing We'll wait quietly. Go ahead and... One more time. Just The guard admired Susan as she began her walk down the cement causeway. He noticed that her strong hazel eyes seemed distant today, but her cheeks had a flushed freshness, and her shoulder-length auburn hair looked newly blown dry. Trailing her was the faint scent of Johnson's baby powder. His eyes fell the length of her slender torso, to her white blouse with the bra barely visible beneath, to her knee-length khaki skirt, and finally to her legs. Susan Fletcher's legs. Hard to imagine they support a 170 IQ, he mused to himself. Whoa. He stared after her for a long time. Finally, he shook his head as she disappeared into the distance. Man, this <laughs> writer that knows that, like, you you can be both intelligent and attractive. Right? Clearly he doesn't. He's he's very confused by no. that. Um, this guard really missed his opportunity to discover Reddit a decade or so later. Because <laughs> holy shit, Are he's you? got a manifesto a mile long. Maybe that this is where incel started. <laughs> that, I mean, yeah. it makes sense. Incels would start in the NSA. Yeah. No offense to the NSA. I know you're listening. <laughs> no, this might be the one time they are. <laughs> Every time the chat goes live, they're like, oh, no, it's those guys. Turn that shit off. <laughs> we have other people we could be wiretapping. Let's let's just yeah, avoid this. I'm just going to read some... 
bullshit about shark tits. It's it's not even worth it. Just just keep moving. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shark tits. As Susan reached the end of the tunnel, a circular vault-like door blocked her way. <laughs> the enormous letters read crypto. Sighing, she placed her hand inside the recessed cipher box and entered her five-digit pen. Seconds later, the 12-ton slab of steel began to revolve. She tried to focus, <laughs> but her thoughts reeled back Do you to think them. this is a high-security facility she works in? <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, I just I just like that, like, her five-digit pen. Like, go ahead and just say a five-digit pen digits one through nine. Yeah. <laughs> Raising her her pink painted finger, she slowly typed the digits eight six seven four. She Three. then mused that this is the same finger that she had yesterday. <laughs> David Becker, the only man she'd ever loved, the youngest full professor at Georgetown University, and a brilliant foreign language specialist. He was practically a celebrity in the world of academia, which is to say, not popular at all. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! I figured what? it out. I figured out this is the reason. Dan Brown is the reason that nerd chic became sexy. Huh. Was he the cause or a symptom? No, no. He was the cause. Look, all of his lead characters. They're all like academics. They're all academics. They're all yeah. nerds. And they're all super sexy. This is why nerds are, are considered sexy now. <laughs> I guess. Thank you. Dan All of a sudden, Brown. Dan Brown I cuts guess. in on the on the mumble. He joins a server. And he's like, "You did it, Kane. You solved my puzzle." <laughs> <laughs> and now you have to die. Yeah, I would just be done at that point. Like, <laughs> oh, hi, Dan Brown. You broke into our secured mumble. Ser- Weird. Ah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because I figured it out. Oh yeah, yeah. And he's gonna give me a a sack of pogs. <laughs> I mean, it was in the 90s when he said this. <laughs> right. So that's just what he's that's got. What he's got. That's yeah. the treasure. He's got pogs. <laughs> it's like yeah. Ready Player One, but really low grade. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not going to be upset with getting a bag of pogs. So continue, yeah. David. Yeah. <laughs> Born with an eidetic memory and a love of languages, he'd mastered six Asian dialects as well as Spanish, French, and Italian. His university lectures on etymology and linguistics were standing room only and he invariably stayed late to answer a barrage of questions. He spoke with authority and enthusiasm, apparently oblivious to the adoring gazes of his starstruck co-eds. So, so David, David, uh, uh-huh, David, uh-huh, uh-huh, David, uh-huh. we've been introduced to two characters, technically three, but the one's dead. David, who is an academic professor, linguist. Rockstar. Rockstar, yeah. And this woman whose name I can't remember. Susan. Susan. Who works in crypto and is pretty. Yeah, yeah. Am I, have I collated the data? She has an IQ of 170. Oh, yeah, we did learn that. She's like super genius. Yeah, she's very, very smart, but also incredibly pretty and also a woman. And also pretty, but also a woman. Uh Yeah, and And also smart. Yeah, and she also happens to be smart. Yeah, and yeah. Just making sure that I was assembling the puzzle. Yeah, yeah, I think you're you're there. Yeah, I don't want your pogs, Dan Brown. (laughs) Becker was dark, a rugged, youthful uh, 35 with sharp green eyes and a wit to match. Tell him he's a tall His man. strong jaw and taut features reminded Susan of carved marble. Over six feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> no! He's a big man. We have to find Joe. 
we have to eliminate him. (laughs) (laughs) All of his books are about big men. Over six feet tall, Becker moved across a squash court faster than any of his colleagues could comprehend. And he was the world's first cowboy (laughs) pirate astronaut. He's a vampire. it's so bizarre how he has no flaws. Just like Susan. Yeah. (laughs) Mm. After soundly beating his opponent, he would cool off by dousing his head in a drinking fountain and soaking his tuft of thick black hair. Gross. That's weird to do. Don't stick your yeah, head I, in a I drinking fountain. I need you to fountain. do me a favor. I need you to reread that, but just replace beating with beating off. I, I, I just need that. No. 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 In no, your head. No, in your head, yeah. that's happening. <laughs> that's for you. Then, still dripping. He'd treat his opponent to a fruit shake and a bagel. Fucking what? This is all kinds of innuendo, guys. Look. I think you just need to get laid, Chris. (laughs) Jesus, man. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I'm just trying to conceive. So, like, we play, what was it, squash? Squash, yeah. So so we play a game. You you beat me soundly. You're, You're a vastly superior player. You then stick your head in the drinking <laughs> fountain and douse yourself. Becoming yeah. a wet tall man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pull your still tripping face out. Like, hey, I'm going to buy you a smoothie and a bagel. <laughs> and I'm going to watch you eat it. And I'm going to watch you eat it. <laughs> All right. So officially, I hate the guard that was on duty. Mm-hmm. And I strongly dislike David Becker. <laughs> As with all young professors, David's university salary was modest. From time to time, when he needed to renew his squash club membership or restring his old Dunlop with gut, he earned extra money by doing translating work for government agencies in and around Washington. It was on one of those jobs that he'd met Susan. It was a crisp morning during fall break when Becker returned from a morning jog to his three-room faculty apartment to find his answering machine blinking. He downed a quart of orange juice as he listened to the playback. Good God. That's basically mostly sugar, in case anyone's wondering. He just drank, Mm -hmm. just replace orange juice with two 12-ounce cans of Coke. Yep. Unless it has pulp, which means, like, the fiber in the pulp will slow down how quickly the body metabolizes the sugar, so we get a little healthier, but... If it's pulpless, then then yeah. The message was like many he received, a government agency requesting his translating services for a few hours later that morning. The only strange thing was that Becker had never heard of the organization. They're called the National Security Agency, Becker said, calling a few of his colleagues for background. The reply was always the same. You mean the National Security Council? Becker checked the message. No. They said agency. The NSA. Never heard of them. Remember, this is, uh... Back before the NSA became a known thing, because uh, back at the time this book was written, in fact, I think until around, was it 2098, maybe? Yeah, around like the the Patriot Act and a lot of that. That would have been 2001. Mm -hmm. The NSA was absolutely a unadmitted agency. It was secret. They did not talk about it. In fact, there were lots of jokes among people that kind of knew that there was an NSA. It was a conspiracy theory. The NSA, no, there's no NSA. They're not listening to us. They're not actually keeping tabs on Americans. That's the NSA, no such agency. So little context for the people that might not have uh, realized. Because, you know, we've lived in a time now for 20-odd years where we just accept that they're listening to everything. So much so that we make jokes about it in our unlistened-to podcast. 
Exactly. Mm-hmm. By the way, guys, uh, I just got done hanging up my American flag and petting my bald eagle. Just thought I'd throw that out there. It's true. You know, I had to take my bald eagle to the vet so that I could make sure that it was bright and cheery, like my patriotism. <laughs> Man, capitalism sure is a good economic system. And how? I trained my bald eagle to attack the president in the face. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Look, getting the NSA to listen to us is not going to listen to our, increase our listener count. All right? The NSA is not going to subscribe on on YouTube or Patreon. Yeah, <laughs> but a for effort. What would you do if, if Trump became a subscriber and he was like, "Yeah, it's, it's, it's the best podcast. It's greatest." Spend all of the money that we would make from his yes. idiot followers. Yes. Yeah. Becker checked the GAO directory and it showed no listing either. Puzzled. Becker called one of his old squash buddies, an ex-political analyst turned research clerk at the Library of Congress. David was shocked by his friend's explanation. Apparently, not only did the NSA exist, but it was considered one of the most influential government organizations in the world. It had been gathering global electronic intelligence data and protecting U.S. classified information for over half a century. Only 3% of Americans were even aware it existed. NSA, his buddy joked stands for no such agency. With a mixture of apprehension and curiosity, Becker accepted the mysterious agency's offer. He drove the 37 miles to their 86-acre headquarters hidden discreetly God, in the wooded hills of Meade, Maryland. After passing through endless security checks and being issued a six-hour holographic guest pass, he was escorted to a plush research facility where he was told he would spend the afternoon providing blind support to the cryptography division, an elite group of mathematical brainiacs known as the My favorite breakers. thing, at, after just getting through a discourse on checkpoint passing, is another discourse on getting through checkpoints. Mm-hmm. Well, I love what's about to come up here. This is going to be fun for me. <laughs> and oh, no. David doesn't have fun ever, so that's a, that's a warning to everybody. You should turn the podcast off now. Yeah, he's the most joyless person I've ever met. <laughs> no, don't, don't. Let's see where this goes. Hey everybody, this is Joe just cutting into the recording. This episode ran pretty long, so we've decided to cut it in half. Stay tuned next week for the thrilling conclusion. And I just wanted to remind you that if you liked what you heard, please go to wegiveyoubrainworms.com and you can find our Patreon. You can support the project financially. It'll also let you find our other projects and adventures and you can jump into our Discord server. So thank you for listening and goodbye. This has been a production of Brainworms Presents. Any copyrighted content contained within is used for purposes of review. Brainworms podcast is David Combs, Kane Magdalene, Christian Schaefer, and Joseph Wells. The theme music is Hodgepod Number no. 1 by Brian Davis. If you like what you heard, you can support us and learn about our other projects at wegiveyoubrainworms.com or by leaving a review on your favorite listening app. I don't think Matthew McConaughey is concerned about your nudity.